them. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode five for December 1st, 2021. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined, as always, by Julia Alexander, Senior Strategy Analyst at Parrot Analytics. Julia, hello. Hi, Jason. I was just talking to you before we started, but for all of our listeners, how was your Thanksgiving? It was a good Thanksgiving. Good, nice uh, little time. Nice to take some time away. I, I'm thankful for the ability to go somewhere for Thanksgiving this year after what happened the last year. How about you? Yeah. I, you know, it was funny. I was feeling the exact same way. I Well, I did not get to go away, but I was able to host some pals, a little Friendsgiving in New York, and it was very nice to have people over and not you know, worry too much. There was definitely a little bit of worry, but it was not as bad as it would have been, you know, a year prior. I didn't watch as much stuff on uh, streaming media as I normally do because I was at my in-laws house. And so there's, you know, there's people around and all that. You don't get complete control of your entertainment thing. Although we did watch... Um, we watched Survivor because it turns out there are a bunch of people who watch Survivor who were there on the Wednesday night. Um and that was pretty funny because we were watching it on my mother-in-law's DVR. And um, wow, DVR interfaces are bad. Uh, that's all I'll say is I give I, I, I don't like, uh, you know, a lot of streaming apps, but um, the cable company's DVR, whoo, it's bad. Yeah, they have not aged well or they have not aged at all is what well, I find. Well, I mean, TiVo, even back to in, in like the year 2000, I bought the first TiVo and like it already did the the thing where if you're fast forwarding and you press uh play because you've gotten to the part that you want to see it knows the space of human reaction time and it backs up to where you yes. were when you saw that you wanted to press the button and in the year 2021 my mother-in-law's DVR still doesn't do that <laughs> I, I don't get it it's a it's just right there come on I do appreciate the whenever going home for whatever holiday it may be go back to either to your parents or in-laws or whoever you're going to see for some reason there's always a piece of antiquated technology that just makes yep. you yearn for your home a little bit just that little bit where you're like oh, I really wish I had my exact setup like right right before mm-hmm. bed I find that's when I really want it yeah the only thing that um that I did like about that experience was having cut the cord and using I'm using Fubo TV as my as my TV provider. Um, it is still I get a kick out of the fact that it, I just have access to it wherever I am. Um, if I want oh, to call yeah. up, I call up a unlike uh, my other my previous cable provider, which you know didn't really have a. It had a a watch remotely thing, but it was very weird. And if you left the house, you lost a lot of stuff and. And with a, an over-the-top provider, like their whole deal is that you're who knows where you are. They don't they don't really care. And that was great because I was able to tune in a football game at one point, a soccer game at one point, and uh, just on my iPad. And uh, that was that was delightful. So there's positive things too. But I I got a lot of streaming to catch up on this week, is what I'm saying, because there's a lot going on. There's a lot out there. There's so much, and I, and I feel like just to add to that, just while we uh, we riff for a little second, I I feel like I talk to a lot of clients or a lot of uh, of other analysts, and I feel like I say this phrase a lot which sounds funny in 2021, but this kind of proliferation of cloud technology, wireless technology, Bluetooth technology, and then just streaming in general, it it really feels like so funny in 2021 to say like, isn't this remarkable technology? But then you go somewhere, like I think of when I go to my grandparents and I'm like, oh my God, they have, you know, a TV and that's it, but I can use that TV. It's a smart TV that we bought for them, but I can use that to get into all my Netflix and my Hulu or whatever it might be. And it's just like, Oh yes, all my stuff that brings me comfort is here wherever I am. That that actually all if you've got a relatively recent model TV and my mother-in-law uh and that whole that whole house has 
a uh, recent model TCL, I think, you know, you if you've got something that's got uh, Chromecast or has AirPlay or both on it, um, that is amazing because I and then I realized at some point during the week that that it had uh, AirPlay on it and I could actually mm-hmm. just go in and choose AirPlay and then put whatever was on my iPhone just you know like Fubo TV up there live and like that it's so nice to to discover um, and hotels are starting to do this now too where it's like yes. I don't want to use your thing at all I just want the screen to do what I want and and the world is getting better at that although I was just talking on. Um, upgrade this week with mike about how uh he went to a hotel and it's still got like you know usb a ports when he's got all his usb c things it's like hotels they they're they're laggards they they lag behind in some cases but i've increasingly the the hotels i've i've stayed in the last few years have had some sort of cast or airplay uh attachment so i don't have to like i don't know like log into my netflix through their tv i don't want to do that like i just want to put my netflix up on their screen i've started just um so when i i moved in with my partner and we both had like our own um google chromecast with google tv which is the worst name for anything but uh, we each had one and they're so small and it's literally just plugs in via usb portal to your back that i just like we i just take it on trips with me and i just plug it into the hotels and it's just so nice to move everything over and it takes up the space of like nothing in my backpack and so like even that i'm just so you know on the theme of thanksgiving i'm just so thankful that our entertainment technology has become this small or just entirely cloud-based that it's like i can just go anywhere and i have access well i should say anywhere domestic i suppose (laughs) international is a whole other thing actually it's true that the the hd kind of revolution um fixed a lot of compatibility reasons compatibility issues even um overseas where the different formats of all they're all kind of the same now in a lot of ways other than maybe a frame rate they're all uh you know they're more compatible than they used to be which is pretty great Uh, my problem with a chromecast in a hotel room sometimes is that they uh, lock off all the ports although even there the hotels seem to have realized that people want to plug their own stuff into the tvs and they've gotten better at that so we'll get there eventually (laughs) um i have a little follow-up uh, we talked two weeks ago. It was perfect timing. We talked two weeks ago just after uh, Viacom CBS mentioned that they uh, were going to debut uh, Star Trek Discovery in the U.S. and Canada, and they were going to delay it everywhere else because they had made a deal with Netflix to buy Netflix out. Netflix had been showing that show everywhere else outside of North America, and uh, they are launching Paramount Plus overseas and all these different markets, and it's in some places and not others. And they just said, look, we're not going to show it anywhere outside of North America until next year when we will launch a bunch of new Paramount Pluses. And obviously they wanted to do a big coordinated effort where they pushed uh, Paramount Plus in a whole bunch of different regions. And, you know, there was a lot of backlash from fans. They had sent the, the best story is that there are a bunch of Star Trek people who had gone to a convention in London and were promoting the uh, new season of Star Trek Discovery. And then like the next week, CBS uh, and Viacom announced, uh, no, never mind. What? So obviously the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. Uh, they, they, the follow-up is there is a solution of a sort. And this I think is fascinating. I think one of the things that we talked about is it's a little bit weird because there are Paramount Plus uh, versions available in some countries, in Latin America, in the Nordic region, and in Australia, Paramount Plus already exists. So there's this one question, which is, why didn't you just launch it in those countries? Um, well, they they heard 
the complaints, I'm sure, loud and clear. And they said, yes, in countries where we already have Paramount Plus, you can just watch it. It's on Paramount Plus now. But that doesn't cover people outside of those regions. So they said, we're also going to do something because Viacom CBS owns Pluto TV, which we haven't Mm -hmm. talked about at all. But Pluto TV is one of these kind of ad-based streaming services. Um, so they they are going to put Star Trek Discovery. They have put Star Trek Discovery on Pluto TV in Europe. However, Pluto TV is linear. It's a yes. linear streaming service. It streams like it's a TV channel or channels that you can tune to. So if you want to watch Star Trek on that, you have to tune in at the right time and then sit there and watch it right then. There's no time shifting. There's no on-demand. So it's an interesting way to get it into the country <laughs> and say, we heard you, but it's still like if you're not there at 9 p.m., you're, if you're a little late, you're going to miss the beginning and you can't go back. So uh, at, at some point, we need to talk more about these kinds of, uh, all the different ways that there are ad-supported streamers, because like Pluto TV is actually a really interesting example of that which is it's it's kind of using internet technology to provide traditional television in a way it's weird weird stuff it's it's also like uh i think if people aren't following this day in and day out um pluto is such a huge part of viacom cbs's entire streaming play like er, there's a lot of focus on paramount plus as there should be because it's their really big um, SVOD uh, initiative, but Pluto is where they're basically telling all their advertisers and all their shareholders, like, we want to grow this. We think there's an exceptional momentum for this type of service. Um, and these are referred to in the industry as fast. Um, they're also referred to as, as AVOD platforms. There's a whole mm-hmm. other terms that basically come down to they're t- they're usually free, they're ad supported, they're more linear. Um, and they all they always tend to have very interesting random channels. It's kind of like if you were to put on um, right. the, the Roku channel and there's just weird, very niche channels like Rotten Tomatoes TV is like on Roku. Um, so you can kind of find them there. My, are they going to do a Star Trek channel in Europe? Is that the idea that they'll just I, stream a lot of Star Trek? I don't know whether Star Trek is ultimately part of their strategy. It probably right. is on uh, for Pluto TV. I'm sure that they want their originals to be on kind of their premium platforms, but it wouldn't surprise me if they also do a Star Trek channel that you can tune in. And yeah, yeah, I mean, this is actually kind of a cousin to the stuff that you see riding on the extra digital channels lo- on local TV stations where you get kind of like the, uh, there are a bunch of these where it's like a lot of old TV um, retro TV, and I forget they have a whole bunch of different names, but it's this yeah. idea that you you know you end up with a channel that's literally got like old Johnny Carson episodes, and then the Rockford Files is on, and then you know Alice and the Jeffersons are on, and things like that. And you're like, really, is that the case? And and like those are out there, but then what if you did that at, at streaming? Um, and they're not all the same, right? Because like uh, Fox has Tubi, which is I think not linear. I'm not 100% on that, but is ad supported. Obviously, Amazon has IMDb TV, which we mentioned last time, their bad <laughs> ad inserts. But there's a lot of this, like the story of streaming. And, and so we're, we are going to have to dig into this more at some point down the road. Like the story of streaming isn't just the premium ad free streaming services or Far even the. It. Even these streaming services that have an ad-free tier, but also an ad tier, there's also this whole other thing happening where some of them are linear, some of them are not, but they're all just free um, ad-based services. So you you can cut the cord and still have entertainment um, without paying a fee if you want to watch Pluto and Tubi. And and the catalogs, some of the, like you'd be surprised at the stuff that's on some of these platforms. You just have to watch ads. <laughs> it's it's it is like 
they're very fun services because I find like I know Pluto has, for example, a Degrassi channel and I just spend a lot of time when I'm working throwing Degrassi on in the background while I work and it's like perfect. <laughs> like that is how I use these types of services you where it encapsulated is... your age and where you're from with that statement, but it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, it is. But it is exactly that for me. And I think there's not, there, there tends to not be a lot of interest in these types of services because they tend to be a little bit more bland. They tend to not have, to Jason's point, like the premium type of content that people really talk about. But they do, they are in a lot of homes. They do have a lot of momentum from people. And especially as we get into much more integrated and targeted advertising on the streaming side, these are the type of streaming services that advertisers are going to flock to. And if you are a company like Viacom CBS or um, NBC Universal, where you have a very healthy relationship with advertisers who are trying to figure out how to be on both your linear platform and also on your streaming uh, side of things, having these types of services, and of course, Peacock is kind of in the middle here, um, having Peacock and Pluto and, and Paramount Plus are kind of the perfect gateway into saying, yes, we want more premium content, but we're also going to try to give our consumers as much cheap content as possible and giving our advertisers a way to come in and say, here's how you can hyper-target and hyper-focus your right. advertising. Right, because as I, I know I've said on this podcast before, a lot of these companies have huge sales staffs and they have relationships with big advertisers. And this switch to streaming is extremely distressing to all of those people who have power in these corporations, which is like, well, no, we have an ad-based business. We should still sell ads you need to give us a platform a product that we can sell into and that's why you get peacock with ads and cbs all access started with ads and and uh, paramount plus continues to have an ad tier and then an ad free tier which means all the shows that they do have commercial breaks i've heard that from a bunch of people who watch on netflix they're like why are there commercial breaks in star trek discovery and it's like <laughs> paramount plus has ads has an ad tier that's the that's the base tier and peacock is like that too um, and so you're going to see, you're going to see products where they can make money, and they and they know there's an audience. That's the other thing is they know there's an audience that that is not going to pay for for much. Right. They might pay for a little, but they're not going to pay for much. And you want to reach them too, a broader audience, like the web, right, where there's premium content and there's free content, and and there are different audiences. And if you you want to make money from both of them to maximize your revenue. Exactly. And so it's right there in the middle. But I'm very happy that people in Europe, at least, will have Star Trek. Yeah. That brings yeah. joy to my heart. And Latin America and the Nordics in Australia are on Paramount+. Plus. And they've also, I should say, another thing that they did is they are putting it on sale per episode uh, for purchase. So like Amazon and iTunes in some countries, in the UK, Germany, France, Russia, South Korea, and a few other markets. And that's another case where you know normally they don't do that with a show that is premiering on streaming provided as an alternative to buy it a la carte. Usually that gets like a DVD release. It gets delayed until way later because they want you to subscribe and they've put the put Star Trek Discovery up for sale. So they're mitigating this. I mean, it's all in ways that benefit them business-wise. Um, my reaction to this whole story was basically somebody screwed up because you're sh this should have been your plan all along and maybe there was an obstinate executive somewhere who was like no 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 that's too too confusing or we want the exclusive we want nobody to have seen it before of course the reality is as somebody wrote in to us to say it took me 12 seconds to download it on my gigabit ethernet over BitTorrent. i was like that's also the competition is piracy not everybody's gonna pirate things but some people are and they are your most excited fans so maybe just saying wait till 2022 wasn't the right 
strategy, especially since clearly they scraped together a strategy in a couple of days to get this thing out there uh, in a lot of regions. So maybe they should have started that way. Yeah, it does feel very much like every story that you hear of the international teams and the kind of main U.S. team where the U.S. team is like, well, we can't. So we'll do it in the international teams. Like, no, no, wait, <laughs> like we can figure this out. There's a solution here. We have this whole other thing. And then the American side is like, oh, yeah, yeah, that would work. Let's just do it that way um, without any communication, which um, is fun. It's a it's a corporate story as old as time. <laughs> oh, corporations. What won't they do? <laughs> Um, okay, so here's our topic for this episode. We got a lot of mm-hmm. letters that we're going to get to later, but um, we didn't talk about this last time because it was just a packed, packed episode. Um, Netflix has begun to release their top 10 lists. They have created a site, top10.netflix.com. You can see worldwide. You can see individual regions and countries. You can see it's just the top 10, but you can still infer a lot from that. There's data about how many hours viewed, because that's the the statistic they're using, which we covered in a very early episode of this podcast. Um, Data stretches back to the end of June. Uh, There are a bunch of different uh, tools that you can use to look stuff up uh, within there. And then also people have built uh, built sort of add on databases like Casey Moore has a tool that we'll link to that's like the in the what's on Netflix site that lets you do some searches. There's a lot uh, there's a lot of information. And I want to dive in. You also wrote a piece at Puck about uh, sort of like trends you've noticed in the data. But first, I just wanted to mention one thing that I noticed, which is I didn't even know that the CW did a, a reboot of Dynasty. <laughs> and it's in the top 10 worldwide. And I think that's funny because Dynasty is a CW series. It's a broadcast TV show. But anybody who's a fan also of, this shows you why I didn't know Dynasty was on, but I'm aware of like The Flash and Arrow and Supergirl and all of those shows that are on the CW because I'm a nerd and uh, didn't know about Dynasty. But they have a deal with Netflix where those shows end up a few days later on Netflix and in the US and are also available worldwide on Netflix. And I was I, not only did I not know this show existed, but I was fascinated by that because look at that. That is a show from a niche TV broadcast network in the U.S. that has this hookup with Netflix, and it's an international hit. It Legitimately amazing. Yeah, and the CW, like this is something that I could talk about for hours on end, but the CW's relationship with Netflix is one of the most interesting because it's bountiful for both, but much more bountiful for Netflix, where Netflix gets to broadcast these shows internationally and call them Netflix Originals. Um, And then domestically, they also become this kind of discovery platform for a lot of young adults who are on Netflix. And they're like, oh, this show looks good. And they're not interested in tuning into the CW because they have lives and they don't care about cable. Um, And so they watch these shows on Netflix, they binge it. And then what we see happen whenever season two, season three, season four of a show like Riverdale or Dynasty or whatever it is comes along, the CW app um, skyrockets to the top of the iTunes, not iTunes, oh my goodness, the App Store chart. Yep. And people watch it on there and then they kind of, you know, fall off a little bit and then they go back to Netflix and watch it. And so Netflix gets to have this very good, very young brand go for them and, and feel like a Netflix original. And the CW gets to have what they call the Netflix effect, which is this increase in first, second, third episodes, which advertisers love. Um, but then Netflix gets to be this cool home to teenagers. And these shows are so immensely in demand, even if the ratings, the linear ratings don't show them like teenagers and adults and whoever are watching 
watching these shows consistently around the world. Yeah, I I have to imagine. So the CW is a joint venture of Warner Media Mm -hmm. and CBS Viacom. And it dates back to the merger of UPN and the WB back in the day. For those who remember those uh, broadcast networks here in the U.S., they they put them together and made the CW. And as a result, like I want, what I want to say is, it's weird that this content isn't on. And I'm sure that the owners would maybe prefer it on their own streaming services. But because it's a joint venture, it's a little more complicated, right? You can't just say, "Well, I'm sure that they wish all those superhero shows were on HBO Max," I guess, because those are from Warner, like. And yeah, I suppose they do a little bit because Netflix is the competition, but it's doing well for them using Netflix as a platform as well as their broadcast network for these shows that skew younger because it's a network that skews younger. So maybe they don't regret it. I, I can't I can't decide whether how much they regret it because it seems to be working for them, but it's also content that is leaving their clutches and going to the competition in terms of Netflix. Well, this is a conversation that we are going to have. And by we, I mean you and I, Jason. I also mean the industry and the world <laughs> sure. as a whole in the next um, few months and then the next year or so. When all these rights, the ownership and these deals come into play, like we'll see it with Viacom, uh, excuse me, we'll see it with um, NBC and Hulu. We'll see it with Viacom and Netflix. We'll see it with Warner and wherever they're licensing out, where they'll be able to make the decision, do we want to pull all of our shows off and take that initial short hit on cash, which is a huge one. It's a big hit that they're going to take and say, we're going to bring all these shows exclusively to Peacock or HBO Max or Paramount Plus, and we're going to really play that game. And I think that will show the initiative, and I think that will really show the strategy for which companies really are all in on streaming and which right. ones are just saying they are. Because if you want to be all in, you take the Disney route, right? You look at what they did with FX and Hulu, and you say, we're going to move half of these shows over to a Hulu exclusively because we want to build that streaming service up, and we need originals in case people pull back. And that's what Netflix did. Netflix said, well, cool, when you guys are going to start pulling your shows off, which they knew was going to happen around 2014, 2015, they said, we're going to double and triple our content spending because yeah. we want to have the original shows that when these leave there's still enough for people to come and stick around and watch um, and I think what we have on the NBC and the Viacom side in particular is this hesitance to say we're making really good money off these licensing deals because we have these massive catalogs of entertainment people want and we don't have the originals that are going to get people in the door and we don't know if they're going to come for iCarly or whatever it might be and so they go we're going to license it out to Netflix and this works really well on Netflix and this, there's an audience there who as much as they want to watch Riverdale are potentially going to watch The Witcher and then Riverdale happens to be there and they stick around longer. Is Riverdale a show that brings people into Paramount Plus or or HBO Max or wherever it would go? I, I believe that one would go HBO Max. Um, less, uh, you know, less, less certain. So I think We'll see what happens with Warner and the Discovery merger. We'll see where David Zaslav, the new CEO, wants to take that content and whether he wants to go exclusive or whether he wants to keep the licensing deal going. Because if they keep the licensing deal going, they now have enough additional revenue to say, cool, we're going to make our own original series. Like, we're just going to go and do more stuff. We have this paycheck coming in. Um, Or they do what Viacom is clearly looking like they're trying to do, which is we're going to pull, you know, South Park back. We're going to try to pull all of our stuff back slowly over time and get to a point that we're licensing out less and bringing our stuff home. But it is a 
fun conversation, especially with the CW, because the CW has been a lost network for both um, CBS and Warner for so long. Like, it's not generating much revenue. It's not super profitable by any means. But what it does do on the streaming side is it is a brand in and of itself where CW shows have an audience. They are in demand. They are shows that people, young and adults, want to watch. And so at that point, you go, what do we do with this brand, this network that we still have? How do we make this work? And so it's an interesting conversation we'll see, I think, in the next year, two years. And speaking of ads, uh, you mentioned the CW app. The CW app is an ad-supported app. So that's another place where you can watch it streaming, but you're going to watch ads on it. And I have friends who are likewise, who have cut the cord and they don't have access to a CW uh, uh, affiliate and they will just watch it with ads on the CW app the next day. And that's another, you know, it's another stream. I think my, my gut feeling is that it, that most companies are not going to end up all in. They may go all in and then come back, but that's what intrigues me about the CW is because of the way it's structured for Warner and Viacom, it's almost like a test case. It almost gives them enough, uh, to say, why don't we, you know, we have this existing deal with Netflix. We have this existing joint venture with our some of our other competition. And, and like, what have we learned from that? That maybe there are two paths. One of which is to get your content uh, on another stream. And it's not necessarily part of your big streaming subscription strategy, but it still makes money. And then there's the other one, which is you're, you're all in on your streaming strategy. Maybe you end up having to mix the, mix the two. Who knows? Who knows what they'll find out? Um, and they are the ones who are looking at their, their numbers and, and realizing you know, what their return on investment is. But it, it may not be all or nothing because an outlier like the Netflix CW deal, like, I don't know. I could imagine there are people within Viacom CBS who are like, I can't believe we still have that deal and we're stuck with it. And I can't believe we're in this joint venture with Warner Media for the CW. And there are other people who probably say, actually, it's pretty good for us. So I don't know. Yeah, that the CW is will be an interesting. It's a it's a it's a network and it is a product in many ways and it is a um, centerpiece that I've been obsessed with for a very long time because I'm just like, what do you? This is not like having um, NFL Sunday. Or this is not like we're going. Sure, I mean like attend attendance. Oh my goodness, viewership is down on average, um, or we can't. You know, all these stuff. We're basically moving to the streaming service, but we have this a couple of things that people really come out for. The CW has somewhat of an audience. I mean, there's definitely people somewhat tuning in, but it is absolutely just a place for shows to To exist for streaming and then for people to kind of come back to and maybe watch. Um, And so what that looks like whenever Warner and Viacom CBS, and my my bet is that Warner will figure out a way. They seem much more invested in streaming, especially with the Discovery deal, um, to kind of pull their stuff back exclusively. But what happens with CBS and Viacom and whatever happens there and then how that affects the CW is going to be extremely, extremely interesting. So we'll see. Those rights are like, not the rights, but those deals are coming up pretty soon. So we'll see if the Netflix one gets extended um, till past 2023 um, and, and beyond. So um, let's let's dive into your trends that you noticed. Uh, you wrote a story on Puck uh, that is called I Dug Into the New Netflix Ratings Data So You Don't Have To. It's great. That's a service we provide here at this podcast as well. <laughs> uh, so I wa- I'm going to go through them and ask you for your thoughts about them in turn, starting with one that we've talked about a bunch here already, which is South Korea being mm. a global content engine for Netflix. 
Yeah, and it was funny. I I noticed this looking at the trend, the the the, the trends in the data, and a day or two later, yeah, a day or two later, Netflix announced that they were taking the star of Squid Game and they were going to make him the centerpiece of the money heist adaptation that would be based in South Korea. And I just thought, you know, what a moment for Netflix to really just lean in on the strategy that's really working. Because if we look at the data, and I looked back at it's about the end of June 2021 through to uh, November 14th was the time frame I was working in. Um, and so it goes week by week, and it's there's four different lists. There is top film English, top film non-English, and then top TV English, top TV non-English. So top TV English, you know, it's a lot of you, season one, two, three. It's a lot of, you know, very we can kind of expect. Looking at the non-English, what struck out to me the most was that it is heavily dominated for between the end of June and November uh, 14th by South Korean content. And of the South Korean content, the viewership hours are astronomical. We are seeing there's one there's one show in particular called Hometown Cha Cha Cha, which was a massive broadcast hit in South Korea when it aired. I believe it broke records in South Korea. And then when it came to Netflix and we see episodes kind of, you know, start plopping throughout the months, um, every week it's trending within the top 10. And by November 14th, it had amassed 245 million hours viewed, or 285 million hours, excuse me, uh, viewed across 13 weeks. That is that number is bigger than almost anything on the the uh, English speaking side of Netflix. The exception being Coco Melon, which as parents uh, of young children will know is um, a YouTube show that is now on on Netflix. There's three episodes each season. They're an hour long, and it is um, insufferable. But young young children really love it. Right. And so that's kind of on repeat in homes, which explains why there are so many hours consumed. So, um, but is, South Korea is hometown cha cha cha. Is that a result of the the relentless Netflix algorithm recommending it to people who are watching other content? Because that's part of it too. Is it all the algorithm keeps feeding things together? So is that what's happening on with uh, Hometown Cha Cha Cha? Yeah. So there's two ways to think of recommendations on your streaming platform. There are algorithmic recommendations, which if anyone has ever used YouTube, it is that. It is you watch this video. Therefore, you will probably be interested in this video that's very similar. Um, so if you watch Squid Game, you might be interested in Alice in Borderline. Like that's that type of algorithmic recommendation. Then there's contextual recommendation. And this is you watch this. There are elements of what you've watched that you might like in this program, which is very different, but has something that we think you might be interested in to increase your engagement sessions, um, which is very important to Netflix. So Hometown Cha 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 comes out before Squid Game does really well. But when Squid Game comes out, there's a little bit of an increased traffic. And we see this from two um, sides of it. We see that there are more episodes in general because Hometown Cha 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 came out slowly on Netflix. And so people were kind of watching and therefore you get more hours consumed because people are coming in when it's week four and they're on week one. They're watching four episodes versus like, there's just that math kind of works itself out. So there's more hours consumed. But the other side of it is that we see an increase as well when Squid Game comes out. And when Squid Game comes out, we see an increase in general of just South Korean content, some of which is dystopian, thriller, you know, drama, but others that are romance, that are comedy and people just Netflix saying, hey, you're now taking the step. You like this. You might like other series from South Korea. Mm -hmm. And so I think what Netflix has done better than other streaming services and can still do better, but has figured out contextual recommendation and saying, you know, Hometown Cha 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 has nothing in common with Squid Game outside of uh, a few, uh, um, uh, outside really the fact that it's South Korean and that it's very enthralling. And I've I watched it. It's a very gripping drama. And it's very fun. Um, 
And so Netflix goes, hey, we're investing a lot of money into this. We think that there's an audience here. And what Netflix has also done has managed to bring South Korean content to the global forefront in countries like the United States, Brazil, England, at a time that BTS and Blackpink are the biggest bands in the world. South Korean content in general on the music front is just having an explosive moment again. They did about 15 years ago, and now they are again. Um, And so Netflix is kind of riding that wave, and they're going, this is content we're really proud of this is something that only we can offer internationally because we're the only ones really playing in this space. We want people to really buy into this and we think that they are. And so what I took away from the amount of South Korean series in the top 10 non-English for uh, lists for Netflix is that that plan is working for them beyond their biggest dreams. They wanted this to work in South Korea and there and in um, Indonesia and in uh, India and in Japan, kind of, you know, neighboring countries. It is now working for them in Brazil and England and the United States, which are core, core markets. Um, And so they're just leaning into it. And they're going, we're going to do as much as we can. We're going to promote it as much as we can. In part, again, because no one else and their competitors are in that space. Their competitors are still trying to figure out India. Their competitors are still trying to figure out the United States. So Netflix goes, yeah, we're going to own this. We are going to showcase it to the world. And we are going to be cultural hit makers and curators in this country. And I think the data showcases that to an extent. Right. I mean, it, 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 you invest in South Korean content and then you have a hit and you're it's not an accident. You know, you've got a lot of other South Korean content to show. It's a yeah. it's good. It's a virtuous cycle. I think they call it in the uh, in the in the PowerPoint presentation that somebody is giving inside Netflix. Um, so you mentioned uh, Coco Melon. Uh, mm-hmm. Another one of your points here, one of your trends is Netflix's uh, kitty content strategy is really working for them yeah and i'll ask you jason because your kids are a little bit older but when they were kids what do you remember what like the big thing was like i know my mom always says like you were a barney kid like that was when i was a baby yeah. that was what the thing was yeah uh uh the wiggles um <laughs> dora the explorer um for my son who's a little bit younger um go diego go which was the yep. Dora the explorer for boys basically even though they were both for boys and girls that's fine but there was a boy <laughs> character and they made they spun him out there and uh and then and Maisie, which was a favorite of mine yep. um and tim goodman and i used to talk about Maisie all the time cuz it's like uh, grown-ups with a glass of wine can enjoy Maisie because it's super soothing but it's kind of disappeared now um but but definitely Dora and uh the Wiggles were enormous for for us and then you know some Disney stuff on on disc yeah but but what, Dora what, the Explorer boy there was a lot of we were checking the map all the time that's all I'll well, say well and that's and I, you know, I'll say as someone who babysat my cousin, who was a big Dora the Explorer fan, I, I give parents a lot of credit. I used to get so mad at that poor Dora. She'd be like, yep. "Where's the mountain?" I was like, "If you turned around, yeah, it's right there. It. It's right there." But <laughs> she knows where but... it is. She's asking the viewers to help her because the viewers <laughs> want to be involved. And it's, it's so. And some stuff I didn't know about when in, in this article, um, like Paw Patrol, which right. we think of. Uh, as not being a Netflix show here in the U.S., but outside of the U.S., Paw Patrol is a global hit for Netflix. Right. And this is, I've said this sentence so many times, and I truly stand by it, which is Nickelodeon is a recognizable brand in 2021 because of Netflix. Where And, and the, I truly think this is true. Netflix is the thing that people watch their shows on Netflix now, and they still see the Nick logo. They still see Nickelodeon. They still see this, and they can kind of go, yep. oh, cool. It's a Nickelodeon show. You know, kids don't. But parents are going to see that, and they're going to go, cool, whether it's Avatar, whether it's Paw Patrol, whether whatever it might be, SpongeBob to an extent. Um, mm-hmm. And they see that. 
What I really thought was interesting about the kids' data is that Netflix decided about four or five years ago that they wanted to be in the kids' realm. Like they they kind of figured out that we want to make more original kids' content. Um, then three years ago, Netflix goes, we want to make more animated series, or two years ago, make more animated movies per year than basically Disney and Pixar, right? We're going to commit to doing six films. We are poaching talent from Pixar. Like that's kind of what we're, we're doing in Sony. Um And the data, I think, showcased two very important things to me. One, they are succeeding in becoming a home for kids' content, which is important because kids don't have the nostalgia that we have. And I think this ties into what CEO uh, Disney CEO Bob Chapek said when he said, we have more opportunity to be in the preschool space, which on the last podcast or the podcast before that I said is an insane thing for the CEO of Mickey Mouse to say. Um, But it's true. The kids today don't have nostalgia for Mickey Mouse the way I did, the way my parents did. Um, all their favorite series are on Netflix and they're watching everything on Netflix. So Netflix to them is the home for kids content. And part of the reason that is the case is because Netflix has this massively <laughs> valuable deal with Viacom CBS going, we want Nickelodeon content. We want Avatar The Last Airbender. We want Korra. We want SpongeBob. We want Paw Patrol. We want all these series that kids really, really love, but are not tuning into Nickelodeon on a linear time frame for and are not watching on YouTube. And so we want to be that home. Viacom CBS goes, cool, we're going to charge you a, a, a fancy dollar to make sure that we we get the benefit of this. Um, and they also know, like, you know, Bob Bakish, who's the CEO of Viacom, has said that kids' content is a major reason that they're seeing people sign up for Paramount+, Plus, and they don't even have everything exclusively. And so what this tells me is that I would expect a renewed deal for part of Nickelodeon's content with Netflix and and Viacom. I think it'll cost Netflix a pretty dollar. But until Netflix can start building up the amount of series internationally and um, domestically that they need to keep kids' content really, really promising, um, they will renew it with Nickelodeon uh, and Viacom, I should say. But I also think it speaks to the fact that Netflix is one of the few companies pouring so much money into really... Um, interesting and really unique children's entertainment. And the only people that I, the only company that I can think of who's doing something somewhat similar um, is Cartoon Network, where Cartoon Network decided we kind of want to make irreverent kids programming. We want to make kids programming that feels like parents can watch with them. Um, And so you get a lot of um, the wonderful world of gumball. um, And to an extent for older kids, of course, you get um, Adventure Time and you kind of have uh, um, a regular show, which can be viewed by kids, it can be viewed by tweens, teens, and also parents who it's just naturally irreverent, funny comedy. And so I think what Netflix has showcased with the with what I looked at, with the titles that I looked at, with the amount of consumption I'm seeing, um, is they figured out we want to be preschool uh, um, preschool young kids and, and kind of teen, tweens. We want to be in that group. And they've done it with very interesting deals, you know, having Coco Melon for the preschool kids, having really kind of interesting fantasy series for the for the young kids, having interactive series like with Carmen Sandiego for kind of older kids and being in that space. And they've become a destination, if not the go-to destination for kids' content. And there's a, a line we say in the industry a lot, which is kids' content is sticky. Because if your kid is super into a few shows on Netflix, you're not canceling Netflix. Like, there's just no – you're not going to. It keeps them sane, yeah. especially at a time when people are still home uh, all the time. Um, you're not going to cancel it. And so if Netflix can be the go-to place 
for kids content, that's a really scary proposition for Disney. We are going, we are the kids place. And Disney over the last 10, 15 years has become less of a kids and um, tweens destination and a teens adult destination, which is weird for them. And there's, and even within that realm, they're not Netflix and Hulu where there's this extremely uh, vast amount of, of entertainment. They've got Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, which feels more older kid and teen and young adult. And so I think it's a really interesting predicament where for Disney, where Netflix has kind of stepped in and gone to like, no, we can make really good global entertainment for kids of all ages. And I think the hours just prove that. It's really interesting. Um, let's talk about curated casting, which is a phrase mm. that I thought was kind of fun. And the idea that movie stars matter, but also that you end up with this real follow on effect. So we mentioned, I think, two weeks ago that Red Notice was a big hit. Uh, from Netflix. It's original with big stars in it. Also, p the power of Netflix's real estate using their homepage to promote it to every Netflix user. That's a real great way to uh, drive people in is you couldn't miss Red Notice when you opened Netflix wherever you were, but that there's this follow-on effect where you know, Ryan Reynolds and Dwayne Johnson are in Red Notice and look what happened other stuff starring those actors suddenly got a big boost when Red Notice hit, which shows the power of the algorithm. Yes. And so I don't know why I said it like that. I was just like, yeah. yes. Agree or disagree? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, that was a weird way of saying because I do. I, I do. Do I agree with my own point? Because uh, sometimes I don't a, year, a, a week later. Um, the thing I think about Netflix, there's two core terms that I think of with this idea, which is curated casting and on top of that portal of discoverability. And Netflix uses those two things to create the Netflix connected universe. It is not a franchise play. It is not anything that's like a specific cinematic universe. It is that everything on Netflix feels very familiar and everything kind of works in tangent with one another. Right. And so the data that I saw, what, what, um, what Jason is saying is basically that there was an increase in consumption uh, for a few movies after Red Notice came out, and that was Six Underground, um, Central Intelligence, and Jumanji The Next Level. Central Intelligence and Jumanji The Next Level both star Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds stars in Six Underground. Mm -hmm. None of these movies were added the month of November, so it wasn't like they were just added and people were re-watching them. What was happening was people had finished watching Red Notice, and Netflix either recommended them or... My assumption is on top of that, people were searching out Ryan Reynolds and Dwayne Johnson. Right. My a, a pal of mine, a brilliant guy named Casey Moore, who created this amazing tool to basically look at all the Netflix data without having to sift through it week after week. It just collects everything. He and I have long had this assumption that the Netflix internal search, into as as uh, meaning that when you're on Netflix and you go to search something, is core to how Netflix kind of decides to do things. Now, I'm not saying they are making every single decision based on what people are searching, but if they're noticing that people are looking up Ryan Reynolds at a certain basis or if Dwayne Johnson's coming up or whoever it might be, there is incentive on top of them being just world star, uh, huge A-list actors to find ways to make those movies. Same with Chris Hemsworth, same with the Russo brothers, whoever it might be. There are certain in-demand talent that people are seeking out and they want to watch more of. So when you're making deals for licensing certain titles or from certain things or you're looking into new shows, new spinoffs, new movies or new franchise potential, this is 
in my opinion, what I think part of what they're looking at is what is our in, what is our subscriber base into? What are they looking for? And I think what this showed me is that uh, the data that I looked at was that this is happening. People are watching something with one actor or another actor and then looking up something else. I imagine people who watch The Witcher might want to watch Justice League or they might want to watch um, uh, uh, the Superman movie because they're watching Henry Cavill. Like it's just kind of naturally, I think, how people work because I know it's how my friends and I work. And although it's anecdotal, I think we are very average consumers. I think that we just enjoy a lot of, of the same stuff. Same with kind of Succession. When I started watching Succession, I wanted to watch more Jeremy Strong stuff. And so I was seeking out his name on apps and kind of just watch.com. Um, and so I don't think that out of all the things I took away, I don't know if curated casting was the most important, but I do think it kind of speaks to what Netflix is doing. And, and again, we, we look at um, them going with the uh, lead actor from um, Squid Game to lead their South Korean adaptation of Money Heist, one of their most massive, massive franchise uh, that they have. That's that's a very calculated decision. That is saying we're going to take the star in our biggest show of all time and we're going to put him as the face of one of our biggest franchises of all time. And we're going to hopefully interconnect these universes and start branching out the Netflix uh, universe. And I think they've done this with Chris's movies very well. They're starting to do it with these types of, of actors uh, in terms of movies and TV shows. And I think if you're Netflix and you don't have an Iron Man, you don't have a Batman, you're just trying to figure that out. What you do have is talent, relationships with creatives, and the ability to produce more content than ever. So why not game the system a little bit using very talented people? So you're not even gaming it. You're saying we're going to take our talented actors and directors and put them in a, a, a bunch of projects together, but make that work. So all of a sudden it feels like Netflix has an identity Beyond the titles, Netflix has this very human connection to everything that they're building throughout their brand. Um, and so I think that was coming through. It's what I was seeing with the data. Yeah, I like the idea that there is this uh, uh, a connected universe that is not about uh, plot, but it's about other connections. Because the beauty is that if you can make connections to something people are watching, they will follow the connection regardless of whether it's part of a shared universe or something. The shared universe is Netflix. It's on Netflix. In fact, it makes me think now, every time Netflix has got an original that they think might be a hit, I assume there's somebody at Netflix who's looking at possible content they could license, perhaps, that involves the principles in the thing they're making to yeah, get on they, their service because they know they can drive people to that that other piece of content. Uh, right? Like if we don't, if Ryan Reynolds is in a movie and we don't have Ryan Reynolds content on Netflix, maybe we should get some basically. Exactly. Exactly. And to your exact point, Jason, they just did this with the um, director of Squid Game, I believe he had, or the creator, and he had directed one or two other movies. Um, I can't remember the names. Please forgive me, listeners. Uh, but Netflix on Twitter basically announced like, hey, these movies are coming to the platform. We're uh -huh. getting them. And I think that's the move, right? Where they're going, oh, th there's a tr like there's a wave here we can ride. We can license these out. Now, some just for people who are listening who um, may not be aware, it's not like Netflix can necessarily go, we want this one title and we're going to spend uh, you know, million dollars right. on getting that one title. Usually they're buying in bulk. They're going like, we want Viacom. <laughs> so they will get a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. But within that, certain titles are licensed out on a per title basis and certain titles are licensed out at higher value than other titles. Um, and so if you're – and like their deal with Sony, which I think came in at about a billion dollars earlier this year, um, like that will get them kind of first window rights to a bunch of Sony movies coming out. So they're getting all of it. Um, and so it's, it's not always like, well, we want this, but there are opportunities to say, hey, 
hey, we have these new like, these movies coming out that we spent $200 million on, $150 million on. We know these actors are in demand and they're big actors and the director's a big director. Where can we ensure that we can promote or, or make sure that we have certain movies in our catalog or TV shows that people might seek out? And in doing that, they increase engagement time and they might prevent people from canceling. And if they can do that or get people to sign up, then they have met their goals for what they're trying to do with their content. All right. Last lesson that you took away was something near and dear to my heart, which is what is the value of going into binge mode? Um, and what can we learn in this case? You were looking at Arcane and Lock and Key and trying to figure out if the show that dropped a whole season at once versus the show that ended up metering out episodes every week. Um, what did you, what did you learn? What do we, what, what can we analyze from this data about the future of, uh, of binge drops? This is my favorite one. So I'm glad it was near and dear to your heart. So it was near and dear to mine as well. Um, and this is the one where I actually have to put in the disclaimer, which is in the puck piece it's at the bottom. Of the, it's at the bottom of the story. The data Netflix provides is more in depth than anything they've, prov they've provided before. It tells maybe 1% of the whole story, right. right? So we're looking at this and there's a lot of math, simple math, but you have to kind of work through. And, and this is a conversation I have with a bunch of friends who are analysts. And we've come up with this term of like total completed views, right? Because we can take the runtime, divide that, uh, change it hours into minutes, divide that by the runtime. And you get what is essentially like how many households completed the show, maybe, right? Because that doesn't take into rewatches, doesn't take into a bunch of other stuff. Um, and what this does, and it's all leads into this point I'm trying to make, what this does is that we can kind of look at, is there more of an audience for binge or for weekly, depending on this kind of completed views week per week per week. Um, the reason I chose Arcane and um, uh, Lock and Key was because I imagine that those viewers overlap. I imagine that people who right. are interested in Arcane are probably interested in Lock and Key. One's a, a, a continuation of a gaming, of a very popular game. One is an adaptation of a very popular comic book. Um, and besides that, the hours kind of match up a little bit. There is more of a gap, and I believe that Arcane is actually in this, about the same place as Lock and Key because if we look at, you know, one less episode, I think it's like two hours less in total compared to like overall hours, blah, 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 blah. Um, what it showed, getting that disclaimer out of the way, what it showed was that there was as much hours consumed for arcane week after week after week people were coming back and probably if we'll, we'll go we'll soar so past um lock and key um then lock and key all at once where lock and key did pretty well in its first week did exceptionally well in its second week and then dropped off pretty significantly and what we saw with arcane was that week after week after week it added steady viewership it added steady consumption over and over and over again and more importantly much more important to netflix in the same way that's important to hbo it became a cultural zeitgeist moment. It became a show everyone was talking about. It became a show people wanted to seek out. It became the new definition of how to do really great high-level animated series, which Lock and Key, there was no conversation. There was nothing. It was fans kind of watching and people going, oh, I watched the first season. I'm seeing it on top of my homepage, Carousel. I'm going to watch it. But Arcane is what Netflix wants its shows to be. It wants to have that kind of conversation over and over and over again. And so I think when we look at binge versus weekly, there are certain times where binge is not going to work as well. Squid Game, I think, would not have worked well as a weekly show because I think people needed to watch it all at once in kind of one setting or within a, a couple of days, especially with the fact that there was a bit of a language barrier and people were making their way through it and there was conversation. But in a lot of cases, having that weekly cadence as 
in our data at Paired Analytics has shown, as many other data from other companies has shown, that weekly is going to be the thing that creates your topical conversational moment. And I think Netflix is beginning to see that. And that's why we're experimenting at the company, or sorry, they're experimenting at the company with much more weekly releases and seeing what they can do and what they can get away with. Um, and I think the data just proved that the audience is there no matter what, what what the weekly does do is keep it top of mind for yeah. anyone who wants to talk about TV shows that binge just does not. Yeah, I, I would even argue because I'm I'm definitely anti binge. I guess like it's all a binge after it drops. Uh, you know, weekly you can binge it later. But I'm a big fan of the weekly release because I think it does extend the conversation. And I got to say it, Squid Game, although a great example of a show that dropped all at once and that everybody was talking about, you got to wonder. It was such a, a conversation piece. Could it have stayed at the top of the conversation for, uh, you know, weeks and weeks longer than it did mm -hmm. if people were sweating the conclusion of it and wondering how it would end? Instead, y y that was all compressed in a very short time. And I do wonder sometimes if Netflix is actually um, shorting itself on what where it could be in the zeitgeist versus some other stuff where you get these big like oh the finale's coming up and let's talk about it and netflix never gets that with the shows that it drops all at once so i don't know exactly uh let's do so we've got a bunch of letters from people uh outside the u.s that we've been collecting and i think i'm going to collect them uh, and save them for another episode so keep sending them in i'll tell you at the end how to send in your email we'll do just a big international edition of the podcast, yes. I think. But I do get, have some other letters that I wanted to get to uh, this time. Um, and again, you can send your email to downstream at relay.fm and it will come to us. Um, the first letter is from Nkemjika, who says, why don't Netflix movies blow up in the same way that Netflix TV shows do? It seems like every time there's a hit on Netflix that everyone's watching, it's a TV show, not a movie. Even more recently, according to Metrics, Red Notice is a hit, but it hasn't quite captured the zeitgeist in the same way that Bridgerton or The Queen's Gambit did. I would be curious to hear your thoughts. What do you think? This is a question that is near and dear to my heart, so thank you so much for it. Um, cause <laughs> the, the, the CEOs of, of Netflix like to make the statement and I don't mean anything insulting when I say that it's absolute bullshit. Um, but it is <laughs> where they say they're making the cultural equivalent of billion dollar movies. And that is just untrue, right? If we think of what a billion dollar movie is, it's Titanic, it's Avengers Endgame, it is Joker. Like we, like, let, let's be honest with what a billion dollar movie is. The issue with Netflix and the film side, which is something that their head of film, Scott Stuber, has said, is that so much of it is so mediocre and so forgettable that people, I don't think, actively tune into it as in an excited way. And a great example is a friend of mine, Hamza, who him and his wife just had uh, their first child. He reached out to me on Twitter and said, hey, I watched Red Notice in 20-minute increments in the delivery room while we were waiting. And I just thought... That's the best way to watch a Netflix movie. That is like, that's how I watch my Netflix movies. It's like doing laundry. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to put this Netflix movie on. I fall asleep at some point. I wake back up. I finish watching it. Red Notice is a fun movie. Red Notice is not a the movie event that Netflix wanted to be. And I think people are kind of not, they're not very enthusiastic and they're not very encouraged by Netflix's past movies. Some have been incredible. Of course, you have The Irishman, you have Marriage Story. But, you know, this is kind of like, eh, if I'll watch it when I want to watch it. What I think Netflix has done incredibly well on the TV side is akin to what HBO did in the late 90s and early 2000s. I think Netflix has established itself as a global 
hit maker with television series, as a global cultivator of really excellent talent in the TV world. And I just don't think they're there on the film side. And I think it's really hard to do when the average demand for film is not, Netflix isn't in that world. They're not in the world that Disney's in. They're not in the world that 20th Century's in uh, with the shows they're making or A24 and Neon, uh, movies I should say. There's a very specific type of film that people want that they get excited about. And Netflix hasn't made one in in a long time in my opinion. But on mm. the TV side, they have established themselves as active hit makers and, and cultural tastemakers. And I think that's why we get really excited when there's a new TV show. Uh, Brent wrote in to, to say, here, here's Brent's letter, clearly some streaming services are better than others, but they are all terrible for people who want a pure and simple experience. Will I ever be able to tell a service that I never want to skip the intro? I always want to watch the previously on recap, and I always want to watch the credits. At least we have the ability to turn off autoplay in most cases, but I just want to absorb the experience I chose to engage in without having the next piece of content shoved down my throat. Never mind streaming services that I pay for and that also put ads for their stuff in front of their shows. As you mentioned on a previous episode, Netflix's focus on product shows, but even they could do better. That's from Brent. And I'll just throw in, I am always amazed by shows that take the time to have a dramatic ending followed by a very carefully selected bit of music that plays over the credits. And some services do this right, but a lot of the services, the moment this dramatic thing is over, it is zoomed away into a little box so that they can algorithmically show you something else. And I think you just ruined the moment that those people built for an hour or a half an hour or two hours to get to. And you ruined it because you immediately swept it away and threw up your uh, thing. So, well, is there any hope here for more preferences to say, please don't do this anymore? Or are we just stuck uh, as prisoners of these services? I have to say, I agree with you, Jason, 100%. You could, I could not have said it better. And Brent, 100%, I think, yes. And, and the reason I, I think this is because um, if people remember, Netflix used to, after three episodes, they would say, are you still watching? Uh, and they still do to an extent. But Netflix was like, hey, people are still watching. You've, you're literally the people who created the binge uh, um, style of watching shows. And so they made it as an option to turn it off and say, okay, you can just say you're still watching. We won't bother you again. I call it sick mode where I don't want to have right. to reach for my remote when I am sweating out a flu. Um, I just want to wake up in a weird fevered days and continue watching Law and Order. Um, and so I think this will come. I think there will be an option that's just kind of like do not touch uh, mode that they can do. And I think you know where it's going to come from, Brent and Jason? I think it's going to come from creatives. I think it's yeah. going to come from creatives who are going like, hey, man, to Jason's excellent point, we cultivated an experience. We want people to feel something. We very carefully curated and selected what the shot we're ending on the music we're playing the way that we're doing credits um and i will say you know what gets to me is when every week when i watch succession on hbo max it kind of turns itself off into the credits and i don't think about it until my mother who texts me because she's a massive succession fan will say did you watch the promo for next week and i'm like no there was no promo for next week it didn't show up and she's like oh well it did on cable and mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm, well, I would like if we got yeah. that experience on, on so, streaming. I mean, you mentioned creatives. And obviously, I think the number one thing that they're going to say is you need to give it a moment. But also, most of the people I know who work in this industry would tell you, show the freaking credits, right? Yep. Like, that's our that's our work. That's us getting credit for our work. 
Like, is it so hard? And and you could do, and, and I do think this will happen. I think some of it is just that the software experiences already on so many of these apps are bad and that they're struggling to make them better. And so this is not at the top of their list. But like, you can do things like float a little thing like the skip intro button, which everybody hates. Well, almost everybody hates. Uh, many people hate. I'll just say it. Not everybody hates it. Everybody I know who works in Hollywood hates it because it's part of the experience and they're trying to give you the experience. But you could throw up a little thing that said, you know, uh, minimize credits or something but to sweep the credits away i often want to know what was that song that they played or who's that actor and they sweep the credits away and you're like no 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 i need (laughs) the credits back um i will say disney plus and 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 this is the other thing is you need a motivator to prioritize it in your software disney plus has a custom timing for when the credit roll pulls back and they had to do that because the marvel stuff has mid-credit and end-credit sequences. So if you here's a pro tip. If you're watching one of these Disney Plus things and the credits start to roll and they don't minimize, that means there's more coming. So you should sit there and watch the credits because there's something coming because they can't minimize the credits and then have a mid-credit scene. So Isn't it great they built, that- the They t- built that. Isn't it great that the two companies who revolutionized the way in which we think about how we watch stuff, which is Netflix with the binge and Disney with the post credit scene, have gone out of their way to try and erase the credits and to get people to stop binging? <laughs> it's like you, you guys, are, you guys no. are the ones who did this. Do you know what you're doing? I, now, it's funny because Brent mentions the previously on recap, and it's funny because yes. if you're binging – you don't or or you just very recently watched the last episode you maybe don't want the previously on recap but other people do and i i think that that's an interesting example where having it there but letting me skip it i actually do skip the previously on if i haven't like abandoned the show and come back to it six months later because it's like i know what happened i just watched that episode so everybody's going to be different but that's the beauty of giving because it's not linear giving everybody choices and saying yes i do want to see this or no i don't and that's that's the beauty of it. It, it these are all computer programs you can program them in to give people choice um, and I'm sure we'll get more of it. Although I also agree, um, I do hate it when there are uh, trailers before something I'm watching that is for another thing. Oh, yeah. I don't mind having them there, but I they got to be skippable. Like I need to yeah. not see that ad for that next thing that's on Apple TV Plus. Please, I don't. Yeah, I. Yeah, and I and I will just say the last last point too, um, because I, I think um, it's <laughs> what Brent was talking about. Uh, Netflix also sometimes, to Jason's excellent point, will skip ahead if you are binge watching something. They'll just yeah. skip ahead past the previously on to the next part. Mm-hmm. And I will say, as someone who um, just finished Manifest, they skip through it, and I'm someone who, even though I just watched it, would be like, "What happened again? What what is going on? Okay, please, re- please. I know I just watched this, but I need you to please recap it for me." So yeah, Netflix having a do not disturb mode that just you they don't touch it nothing happens it just plays uh would be lovely and uh let's see we got time for a couple more letters let me pick one here um how about Anthony, who wrote in, I'm a parent who uses Disney Plus in Canada. My kids use Disney Junior constantly, and I'm infuriated. There's an endless push of new shorts, videos for kids that are often one to three minutes in length. Not only is it annoying to have no autoplay for kids, but the episodes are pointlessly short, constantly requiring user input to continue watching. I have noticed the trend toward shorts, even in some of the older youth programming as well. Why is there such a flood, flood of this strange kind of programming? Who wants this, and why are they trying to make parents suffer? That's Anthony. Amazing. 
Any any thoughts about? I do. I I was wondering this with the with like uh, Disney and Pixar shorts on Disney Plus too, and I thought you should really have like a play all or a a playlist of some kind so that I don't have to keep uh, holding the remote because every three minutes I have to do a couple of clicks in order to get the next one to play. Maybe maybe. I think uh, I agree with you, Anthony. I um, also am not a big fan of the endless shorts that Disney puts out. Um, especially, I just don't like them. But I will say your answer lies um, in a very popular app from China uh, called TikTok uh, and <laughs> YouTube shorts. And the attention span is just gone. Like there, And if we think about how a lot of – of course, I'm not a parent. So please, please correct me if I'm wrong. You can reach out to me on Twitter. Um, I think about how a lot of kids watch YouTube. A lot of them are watching like they're they're the the way they're getting stuff on YouTube too is like hour long videos but split into like three minute kind of sections and they just kind of repeat. Um, it's just much shorter. I remember you know when I was a kid and I imagine when you were a kid and the shows were you know half an hour. They were twenty three yeah. minutes with commercials. They were cartoons for twenty three minutes. Um, live action was twenty three minutes and it was great. And you had your commercial break. And I think like kids no longer have the commercial break. They no longer have like everything is watched in seven minutes um, and then you can kind of take a break. You're not really watching anything or you're watching something for toys. It's totally different. Your attention is elsewhere and you kind of come back to it. And so I think having shorts kind of creates this like very, very quick entertainment that kid that kids have the attention span for and then goes into something else and keeps them engaged. Um, but I think attention span for, for children has always been really bad. We just had commercials for like slinky toys and um, I don't even pogs. That's I wasn't even old. I wasn't even around for that, but it's fine uh, um, to to break those things up. And without commercials kids have to find their attention elsewhere and it comes in much more shorter bursts of entertainment yeah, would be my I, assumption. I guess it's the difference between, you know, having that thing where like TikTok that's algorithmic and there's like there's always another thing. I mean, TikTok is shorts, but it's also endless in a way that I think Anthony's complaint here is that make it endless. <laughs> I I don't, oh, yeah. I, my kid wants to watch something that's two minutes long. It's like, well, that means I got to stand there. And then two minutes later, I got to press a button again and watch another one. You can never leave. You can never do anything because it, it requires constant attention. I think this is the same answer as the one with Brent, which is, I think there's yes. probably a software problem here that they need to get better, a user interface problem. They need to get better at saying, oh, well, this is a short. So for shorts, we're going to autoplay the next short because that's what parents want. Uh, and, and I think also, too, I think um, they, if they if they are to make that the um, sign, you do, if, you, if you didn't even have to opt into it, if it was just naturally there, you'd get a lot of complaints from parents, I imagine, and like advisory groups who are like, kids watch too much because it just continues playing. Um, and so I think Disney is kind of like, what I think they should do is have an opt-in option and say, hey, I'm going to opt-in to let these continue playing. Don't ask me again, which is what Netflix did with the like, right. don't ask, like I'm still watching. Um, and I think that should come... I, that's a great you should add them you should, that's a great yeah. suggestion i think that's a huge that's a, that would be a great win for parents all right one last letter this is from kevin who says as a parent of three ages two through eight i can mm. confirm that tv shows for young children are an essential part of the streaming subscriptions in our family in that area i don't think amazon prime video gets enough credit their kids originals are impressive to rattle off a few tumble leaf creative galaxy bug diaries stinky and dirty pete the cat and if you give a mouse a cookie, our favorites in our house. Outside of originals, they managed to upsell us on a Prime Video channel subscription to PBS Kids for catalog content. I don't know who's in charge of kids' content in Amazon Prime Video, but I think they're doing great work rivaling and sometimes beating Netflix in our house. Disney Plus never even gets a thought from the kids outside of family movie nights. <laughs> Kevin. So that's a good, good report from somebody who knows who's got three young kids that they're using Prime Video a lot. So there. You know, I'm glad that 
that someone is using Prime Video a lot. And I think that's, that is to, <laughs> echoing Jason. You know what, Kevin? I really, really appreciate this letter because I think it's especially – I can only speak for myself. Um, I don't have kids. And so sometimes kids programming, if it's not right in front of me and therefore like Netflix or Disney Plus because I use those, um, it's hard for me to remember that there are other streaming services where that might be an actual uh, fundamental core aspect of the streaming service. So with your letter, I'm going to just seek out some of that children's programming and see what that's like. I I will say I like um, when companies take chances, and this is going to sound like a really dumb, obvious one, but I like that Warner Media um, with HBO Max got the Studio Ghibli collection. Like, I think that's a fun like a family addition to to what they're they were trying to do and so for amazon to be stepping it up in the kids realm that's awesome like congrats to amazon's entertainment team not jeff bezos but to the amazon prime yeah, video team whoever is Good working for them. somebody somewhere in a desk deep within amazon just looked up and said oh, somebody appreciates my work uh which is good um all right we will be back in a fortnight. Let me tell you how to send us your own uh, email that we might read on, and answer on a future episode. Downstream at relay.fm is the email address, or uh, you can uh, find us on uh, the web at relay.fm slash downstream. And if you want to tweet at us, you can do that too. We are at downstream pod. Julia is loudmouth Julia on Twitter, and I am Jay Snell. And until the next fortnight, Julia. Uh, pleasure as always keep streaming friends keep streaming keep streaming oh we got a catchphrase (laughs) now yeah there it is